Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and today's guest is Addison Bevere. Welcome, Addison. Gian, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Awesome, awesome. Addison, our, our first question is always, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Yeah, Christian coach. That's a great question. I think for me, I mean, you hit it with uh, with that intro. It's following Jesus. First and foremost is following Jesus, figuring out what that means in our everyday lives. And when we follow Jesus, it just seems to create opportunities for us to coach, for us to lead, for us to guide, for us to serve others, because there's something different about the ways of Jesus. They're not of this world. And it's attractive. It attracts people in ways that other forms of leadership, other forms of coaching just doesn't attract people. So I would say, first and foremost, when it comes to being a coach, it's following in the footsteps of the one person who got this whole humanity thing right. The best coach, the one who took 12, 70, however many, I mean, in, in three years and turned the world upside down, yeah. we're still outworking the work that he did over the course of three years. So from a, co- a coaching perspective, drawing the best out of people, man, he did something right. So yeah, he I did. try to figure out what he did and follow, follow in his footsteps. That's true. We've had over 130 podcasts, Addison, and this is the first time somebody mentioned Jesus being the actual coach and actually bringing the best out of people. So that's a, that's really good. That's really good. I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. So there you go. Um, There there we go. (laughs) Let's go back uh, to a young Addison. First of all, did you have a nickname that your family called you, your friends called you? And then tell me, how did you come into faith? How was your upbringing? No, those things. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to share this, but I'm going to share it because it's it's probably going to be better if I share this detail with you. So my wife actually just a few days ago, she because her name's Julie, and she goes, Addison, I would I want to start calling you Addie, and I was like, oh, like Addie with a Y or Addie with an I? Like let me just work through this. She's like Addie with an I. I'm like oh, okay, maybe if you do it, I'm okay with that. And I have one friend, good friend, who calls me Addie. Okay. Um, but when I was young, people called me Lil Laddie, just Ooh. Lil Laddie. Okay. And I was, I was, I was not, I was not very big. I didn't <laughs> grow till I was like 17. Okay. So I think I was five, three when I got my driver's license, <laughs> nothing, hey, nothing against y'all out there who are um, navigating the, the challenges that come with being vertically challenged. But for me, people yeah. chose to pick on me and call me Lil Laddie. I was also really yep. small. In every way. So I, I guess there's still some trauma related to that. When I hear Addie, I'm like, ooh, little Addie. I don't know if I want to go back to that. Um, but as far as my story goes, grew up in an amazing home. I have uh, two parents who have followed Jesus my entire life. So that's what I've known from the beginning. And um, they're, they're both in uh, vocational ministry. They're both pretty well-known authors and speakers, ministers, leaders. And so I grew up in that world. I grew up seeing a lot of different things um, that were hard to reconcile, to be honest with you, things that I was like, wait, this doesn't seem right. This isn't congruent with what you're saying out in the public, uh, public light. Like this is different. Um, But not so with my parents, my parents, man, they, they lived what they preached. And when they did it, they were the quick to uh, the first to own it, they were quick to apologize, and I, and I learned from a young age that humility creates safety, and you can do a lot of work where there's humility because people trust you and they're willing to do what they need to do to grow, to learn, to develop, um, to pursue, to be challenged, all of those things. 
And so I had amazing parents, but like all of us, I had to go on my own journey. So I would say from the time I was about 13 to the time I was 17, I pseudo rebelled. Uh, I, I was never like a full on rebel. I don't know if I was just too scared of my dad or what. Little but, uh, Addy became big Addy. <laughs> little Addy, little Addy wanted to assert something. I don't know. Uh, moved through that complex. And, but it was so funny, man. It was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And I liked this girl who was a real Christian, real Christ follower. And she convinced me to go to a conference that my dad was speaking at that I didn't want to go to, but she convinced me and I went because I was into her. So I went to the yeah. conference and God rocked me that night. And uh, I, I had an encounter with the presence of God and things became very clear for me. And uh, that was that was my moment when it became real to me as an adult. Uh, it was very real to me as a child. And then I went through a season where I was, as I mentioned, I was struggling to reconcile different things yeah. that I saw. And I, view, I viewed a lot of Christianity as, as hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's a bit of my story. Yeah. And then that I, continued through school and into ministry. Yeah. I, I, we hear a lot of stories of um, similar to yours where they grew up in a Christian home, but there was almost like Christianity or faith by osmosis. Like you're just surrounded yeah. by it. You didn't actually make yeah. it personal to you. Is that what you're feeling as well? Absolutely. And I would say it was real to me as a child, but the, the journey, like this journey that we have, and, and we do, um, we do a parenting podcast, my wife and I actually with my parents, they're part of it. it's multi-generational. And one of the things that we talk about when it comes to discipling children is you have to realize that children are going to lose their first innocence. And, and the journey of maturity is actually a journey into the second innocence. And so we, we go through that season where we're disoriented because the world that our, our parents created for us, the safety of the world, the security of the world, it, it, it meets a chaos that is introduced by a greater world that is beyond their ability to control or even explain in ways that we can understand it. And we move through that chaos. And it's, it's in that season of chaos that we learn more about God, more about ourselves, more about others, more about purpose, more about life, all of these things. And we're trying to create a framework for them. And the old framework doesn't really work because it's borrowed. As you said, it's osmosis. And then we encounter God and we encounter a framework, God and in, in the reality of who he is and what that means for our lives individually and collectively. And it's like, wow, God really is big enough for the big world that I just experienced for the first time. And I think that's a, that's the journey of faith for a lot of people who move from a Christian home through a level of disillusionment or confusion or dislocation, disorientation back into faith. Yeah, that's really, really good. Now, now you're a big Addison. You're you graduated college. And <laughs> not not if my wife has anything to do with it. I don't know, man. I think she might. Why want me to go back to the little to little Addie? Um. Well. Uh, yeah. So you graduated college, and then did you go straight into vocational ministry as well, like your parents? So I did a I did a year of uh, a prayer internship. Um, and I was working full time at this point, working full time after school with, uh, with at Messenger. And I thought I thought I was just going to do a gap year, then go to law school. That was my plan. Um, but then God rocked me during that gap year, and it turned into something so much more. And so I ended up I ended up doing this Bible school. Ended up doing 
uh, a prayer intensive for a year where we prayed 20 hours a week. Um, and we would do some other things too, just learning about what it is to be intercessors, what it is to be people of prayer. And so I started working at, at Messenger in that season, a lot of volunteer stuff. And my role just evolved. Uh, I had a lot of favor um, from from my leaders and ended up getting um, getting promoted in different things. And by the time I was in my mid-20s, I, I was in the role of COO of the organization, which all that happened very, very quickly. <laughs> but uh, I look back now and I'm like, man, I think they gave me way too much too early. But I also, because I was afforded these opportunities to make mistakes and grow and learn, um, I, I was able to figure out some things pretty young that uh, that have been very helpful for me in my journey. So I'm grateful for the people who took risks. Yeah on me yeah. and gave me I space think, to learn and grow. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches can can relate because a lot of them become true head coaches at early 20s. I see a lot mm. of coaches that were a grad graduated college at 22 were a grad assistant for one year. Maybe the head coach leaves and then just get thrown into being a head coach. Yeah. And so your age is not much more than the age of the people you're leading. Right. In your case, my guess is that you are much younger than the people that you're leading. Is that correct? Or, or so, so, so my boss, my so this would have been my my first boss. He went to his boss, who was the director of staff, and he told his boss that we should switch places, that I should be his boss. So this is my <laughs> boss, my direct report. Went to his direct report and said that the two of us should switch places. And they, the two of them, came to me, and I was like, no way. Like, there's yeah. no way I'm like, you're the boss. You're 20 years older than me. There's no way I'm switching places with you. And three months later, they came back to me and said, you don't have an option. We're switching. So then I had to lead someone who was 20 years older than me, who used to be my boss. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every single person on my team was older than me. Some yeah. of them by two and a half, three decades. Yeah. What did you so learn? What did you learn about leading people older than you? Yeah, well, I think for a lot of young leaders, and this is the same for young coaches, we feel this pressure to have all of the answers, to to prove, to to validate that we belong. And so we we try to create this illusion of sufficiency. Like, hey, y'all, I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. And the truth is people, they don't expect that from you. What they do expect from you is they expect you to be honest and they expect you to create an environment or do whatever you can to create an environment where the answers can come forward and where the people who are best positioned or have skill or have experience can, can bring what is uniquely theirs to the table. And so I learned very quickly, hey, this isn't about me and how much I know. This is about how quickly I can understand and honor the word I'm going to use here is honor because honor and respect for me, they have everything to do with sight. Even the word respect comes from the Latin. If you look at R E, which means to, to do again, the prefix means to do again and spec. That's where we get spectacle, spectacular spectator, all of those words dealing with sight. And so literally what respect means is means to, to look again or to see again. And so I learned uh, at a young age, like, hey, my job is to see people. My job is to honor people, to draw out what's in them, because God knows that I need what they have, because what I have is not nearly enough. And, and people talk about people who have gone on and people who have complimented me as a leader. It's not because of how much I know or you know how self-sufficient I was. It's really like, hey, you saw me. 
you believed in me, you gave me an opportunity, you challenged me, you saw things when I couldn't see them myself. That's what they remember. Um, and so that's something that I learned very young because I had to learn it very young because I really didn't have an option to position myself um, from, from a place of expertise because I had very limited experience at that time. I had a lot of head knowledge from school, education, yeah. all that, but I, I didn't really have real experience. Yeah. For, for some people that don't know what Messenger does, can you explain a little bit of what it is? Yeah. Yeah, so Messenger, the organization that I help lead, um, we're dedicated to making translated discipleship resources available to every person, regardless of where they live, what language they speak, or how much money they have. Um, so in the last several years, we've given away close to 70 million translated resources to pastors and leaders, um, coaches, in virtually every single country. Uh, and so we're the leading provider of translated discipleship resources in over 50 languages. We're the only provider um, in over 30 languages. And so that's what we do on the international scene. We have about 95 regional directors who uh, lead their respective regions and are responsible for figuring out the, um, the meaningful intersections of discipleship and our resources and how we can bring those together and working with the greater church and uh, church networks and businesses and governments um, so that we can help disciple nations. So like, we've done work with uh, governments like the Vietnamese government, um, we did an initiative with Vietnam. We had over 150,000 people participate. We had over 7,000 people in Ho Chi Minh City there in person. So we do stuff like that. It's all for all. We want everyone to realize that they are a messenger. That's the whole messenger national and that their life tells the story of the gospel. Every single one of us. You don't just have to be vocational minister or be a coach at a Christian university or what a pastor of a church. Every single one of us, our lives are called to embody the gospel in a way that's unique and specific to where God has placed us and the gifts and the abilities that he's given to us. And we want to help people realize that about themselves. So we have a we have an app that we developed called Messenger X, um, and it's used by people in virtually every single country in the world, uh, millions of users. And it is uh, it has all of these resources, establishment resources translated in over 100 languages, and it's all completely free. So awesome. people can use that. For whatever they we'll put need, the links. Uh, we'll put the links on the show notes. For. Yeah, that's awesome. that's awesome. That's awesome. So now let's transition to uh, this latest book you wrote, Words with God. Yeah. Why did you decide? And you talked about having a a prayer intensive where you prayed for twenty hours a week. But why did yeah. you decide to write a prayer book now? Yeah, and it wasn't because I did the prayer intensive because I actually yeah. left the prayer intensive believing I was really bad at prayer. <laughs> just, just to be clear, you got worse like, at I, prayer I'm after like, the I'm, prayer intensive. I'm like, I'm bad at, I'm bad at this. Like, this is not, this is not for me. And you've read the book, right? You mentioned yes. that before. So, yep. Okay, yep. so you you've read it, so you know you know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah. So this is what I have figured out. Pretty much everyone thinks they're bad at prayer. I mean, pretty. Pretty much everyone. I mean, there there might be one, maybe two people listening to this and you're kind of offended by what I just said. You're like, what? No, I'm amazing at prayer. Like, Don't I, you see my Instagram posts? Prayer. I have a, yeah. a mug, I have my yeah. Bible, some highlighters. Yeah. I'm great at this. That's, that's right. Like I'm, I'm killing it. And, and so I've had a lot of conversation with people about this over the years. And so when God, when God came to me and told me, it, it was so clear. And I tell the story in the book. Of, of why I, I actually started writing this book, which I did not want to write. And I fought against it for a long time. And there was also profound disappointment 
in me related to prayer and prayers that I had prayed and feeling like I checked the boxes and God didn't show up and how frustrating that was for me. And so I, I really didn't, I really didn't want to write this book. Um, never felt qualified to write a book like this. And as I got into it and it took me a little over two years to write it, as I got into it, I, I started to realize things about prayer that completely changed how I view prayer and also how I measure prayer's effectiveness or measure my own aptitude for prayer. So that's a, that's a bit, that's a bit of the backstory. Um, so and, here's I mean, one the, question. How, how yeah, yeah. have you seen changes in your life and in the people around you ever since you started yeah. digging into prayer a little bit more? Yeah. So the book came out back in April. Uh, I don't know when this episode is going to release, but April, yep. 2023. And you would not believe the number of messages that I've received from people that have said, I've struggled with prayer my entire life. I've struggled to connect with God. I've struggled to understand prayer. Now I feel like there's an open heaven. Now I feel like God is connecting with me. Um, I had one gentleman who sent me, he was in his eighties, sent me a message and he said, I can only imagine what my life would have been like if I would have read this 40 years ago, uh, a lady in her sixties navigating stage two cancer and everything that goes with that. And she just said, I finally feel close to God. I've been, I've been a Christian since I was in my twenties and I've never felt close to God. And so for me, the subtitle is trading boring, empty prayer for real connection. For me, that's it. Like that's it. And I, and I went through a season of my life, um, before I, before I started writing this book where I went five years without feeling anything from God, like anything, no tangible presence, no warm fuzzies, nothing. I, I, I was doing what I needed to do. I was being faithful. I was reading my Bible every day. I was praying. I mean, I was doing what you're quote unquote supposed yeah. to do. You're working in like ministry. Oh, I'm working in ministry. I'm leading in ministry. Yeah. And as I said, I feel like I'm checking boxes and God's just checked out that God has abandoned me. And it was in that season that I, that I, I discovered prayers like Psalm 22, one Jesus quotes on the cross from David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my, my prayers, my groans? Why are you so distant? And I, and I realized that, that a part of the human experience when it comes to prayer is actually letting go of our transactional formulaic idea of God and how God engages with us in prayer. And that, normally takes us on a journey. I'm going to say always takes us through a journey. Some of you may disagree with me, but I'd be willing to argue this point always takes us through a journey of pain. And, and the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews two and Hebrews four says that Jesus became like us in every respect. So he could sympathize with us in our weaknesses, that he is a high priest that understands what it is to be tempted and move through temptations. And I personally believe that the greatest temptation that we face as human beings is the, the lie to believe the lie that God has abandoned us. And That's if Jesus really is going to become like us in every respect, he would have to move through that lie. He would have to believe that he has been forsaken or abandoned by God. And what I find fascinating about Psalm 22, if you move down to verse 24, it actually says that he does not abandon the afflicted in their affliction, nor does he turn his face from them. But what David's doing in that Psalm is he's bringing us on a journey. He's being honest. He's saying, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. You've forsaken me. 
and he and he goes through this this journey of honesty and 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 lays the framework for a psalm that is messianic and is the most associated when we talk about the cross and the cross experience this is the psalm that is the most quoted and most associated with what happened on the cross and then he comes to this point where he's declaring that you actually don't abandon the afflicted in their affliction nor do you turn your face from them and he goes on to talk about how god will reconcile people the nations to himself and, and the truth is, man, and I realize this, like we can't really know how faithful God is until life has given us a reason to doubt his faithfulness. And for many of us, when it comes to doing life right, especially us Westerners here who like are very concerned about calling and purpose and getting the answers and doing the right things and all of that, it's really easy to start to view God and prayer as a means to an end as opposed to the end of all means. And so we're, we would never say it like this, but y'all just be real with me for a second. We never say it like this, but basically like, hey, God, give me the answers that I need for my life in prayer and then kind of get out of my way so I can get on and do what I need to do. Like I have stuff to do. I have decisions to make. Give me what I need so I can run and do it. And there's a Psalm, Psalm, um, or I'm sorry, not a Psalm, Proverb, Proverb 20 verse five. I think that's what it is going off the top of my head. It's, it's, yeah, it's 20 verse five. It's not 20 verse six. 20 verse five says purpose in the heart of a man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding or a woman of understanding will draw it out. Well, that's an allusion to a well. And when you think about a well, you're going to go to a well and draw again and again and again and again, it's a place of purpose. Purpose isn't something that we discover in a single moment because we can't actually handle the robustness of the purpose that God has for our lives. It's something that we go to again and again and again. And prayer in its robust form is the place where purpose becomes real to us. And as long as we view prayer as a transact, a place of transaction, we're actually going to feel blind to our purpose and confused about our purpose because our purpose is in some ways becoming an idol that's taking the place of God. Yeah. I, I have a question at the end of this long sentence here, but um, John uh, Acuff, he, he was telling me, he was talking to me and he said, if every time we ask God for for a map of what the next five years looks like. And he gave, and if he gave it to us, we would end up worshiping the map and not the cartographer. And I was like, that has stuck in my head. So how, how can we navigate through seasons where we are trying to commune with God and we're trying to live in there, but we're still holding tight to that transactional aspect. And he feels like he's not answering any of our prayers. How do we handle those moments? Yeah. So there's a there's a confidence that is only wrought through moving through the disillusionment, through the pain, um, through the dislocation, through the confusion. So first of all, I want to affirm people, y'all, God hasn't abandoned you. You're actually you're actually on a journey to knowing God in ways that you've never known him before. So when I was in that season, uh, my wife hosted this dinner with uh, three other couples, there was eight of us and it was a dinner and a time of prayer and like praying over each other and stuff, which I didn't want anything to do with that. Like in this season of my life, I'm like, I, I just, I don't want to do this because I know what happens. People ask questions that I don't want to answer. Like, I don't want to answer these questions. I don't want to have yeah. these conversations. Like I'm hurting right now. And my wife knew and she's like, oh, this will be a good environment. So we're all sitting around and people are sharing about God's goodness and God's faithfulness and how God's meeting them in moments and all seven people are crying except for me. 
And I awkward, awkward, you know, it's going around the circle. Y'all yeah. know, you've been one of those circles. Yep, you go, yep. It comes to me and I don't say anything. I'm just like, skip, <laughs> next person. Everyone's crying. And Julie's looking at me like, you yeah. better say something. <laughs> or we're hosting it. Like, I was like, fine, I'll say something. I said, like, you know what? I haven't sensed the presence of God in years. I said, I hear what you guys are talking about. I think that's great. I said, but I, you know, basically share the things I shared earlier yep. in the episode. And, and I had to be honest about that. I had to move through that. Psalms like Psalm 142, where David says, I pour out my complaints before you, God. Like that became real. I'm like, God, I'm pouring out my complaints before you. And in that season, one of the, the big things for me was I was navigating insomnia. Um, and it just, I lived in a perpetual fog because of the insomnia and everything just felt like it was compromised um, by a lack of sleep. And I would cry out to God, like, God, come on, deliver me. Like you give, you know, you give sleep to your beloved. Like what's going on? Am I not your beloved? What is going on here? And the truth is I wanted control. I wanted to have all of the answers. I I didn't want a peace that comes from being in tune with the one who is the answer. I wanted the peace that comes from having all of the answers. And if I didn't have that peace, I was willing to trade my nighttime hours to find it. I mean, that's basically where I was at. And I realized in that season that God has a way of not delivering us from a thing when he knows that that thing will ultimately deliver us to him. We think that God is so much about the business, about things, this thing, that thing, this purpose, that purpose, this decision, whatever it is, like God's in the business of those things. God's actually, he he uses those things in our lives and, and they have meaning and significance, but God's actually about drawing us him transforming us to share in his likeness, in his presence, in his righteousness, in his peace, in his joy. And from that place of being known and knowing, we can navigate anything. And then big decisions feel less consequential, even though they're of great consequence, because we know at the end of the day, and I love what Psalm 37 says, that he is the one, like we may stumble and fall, but he's the one who holds us by the hand. And when we start to realize that, then we start to realize, oh, man, this is why faith is so important to God. That's why without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I was, I was, I always thought, like, having all the right answers, I please yeah. God. It's like, no, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually not how this works. Like, actually, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. And so practically, when it comes to prayer, there is a dimension of prayer that is, hey, we go to God, we ask for clarity, we ask for something, and God responds, and there's an awareness, there's a growth that comes through that. But there's so much of prayer that that belongs outside of that transactional box of asking and receiving, and it's all those other dimensions of prayer. And in the book, I, I draw this, there's this prayer circle, and eight dimensions yeah. of prayer that I think capture the robustness of prayer. But the problem is a lot of us, we we just don't move beyond that transactional element yeah. of prayer. And when that transactional element of prayer isn't going the way we think it should go, we kind of abandon the whole thing altogether. We're like, is this yeah. worth it? Is it working? Yeah. So. We're all looking for shortcuts and formulas. If I do this, then I get this. And that's not how God works. No, no. It's, it's and, and thankfully, because yeah. if you actually look back on your life, Yes, it's good to have principles. Yes, it's good to have wisdom. Yes, it's good not to make things unnecessarily difficult. I agree with all of those things. But what we crave is meaningful connection and meaningful purpose. Like we don't we don't crave what comes from the shortcuts. 
Yep. Like those are those are quick hits. Okay, yeah, that's nice for a moment. I got away with one. But what we really crave is that that deep sense of knowing and being known. And and that and that comes through a process. Yeah. My last question is what does the Lord's Prayer have to do with all of these topics that we've been talking about here about prayer? Shouldn't this is me playing the devil's advocate here? Shouldn't I just be praying the Lord's Prayer and that should be enough? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. And I, and I do touch on this in the book. And I touch on why, why prayer is so much more than a formula. But what we have in the Lord's Prayer is we have a framework, not a formula. That's so right. first of all, I want, I, want, I want you all to hear that. It's a framework, not a formula. So can you play the, pray the 52 words? I think that's what it is in English. 52 words? Absolutely. Are those meaningful words? Absolutely. Uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us how to pray, whether it's Luke 11 or Matthew 6. It's meaningful. Like he gave us meaningful words and he also gave us a very meaningful sequence. If you think about the Lord's prayer, the sequence is, is really everything. It starts with this orientation of he is our father, our father, not my father, our father. And yep. that leads us into all sorts of things <laughs> with other people, but our father. And then we move into how he has an authority that transcends our understanding of space and time and dimension. And then it moves into a surrender to his will and then practical outworkings of his will in our daily lives. Things like the need for sustenance, the need for forgiveness, the need for strength in the midst of trial and temptation, the need to be delivered from the power of the evil one. All of these things are important to pray. Now, what I tell people is, hey, pray the Lord's Prayer. Love it. All for it. I pray the Lord's Prayer sometimes as it is. But what I also tell people is, again, Jesus given a framework. Pray the first line and stop. Yep. Our. <laughs> and just stop with our and be like, okay, God, where am I missing that you are our father and not my father today? You are my father, but you're not just my father. Help me see why Nathaniel over there. <laughs> Help me see yeah. why and how you're his father. You know, yeah. that that kind of stuff, it'll wreck you. And you go through and you personalize it. Freeze. Freeze that, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, God, what what are you inviting me to ask for today? I don't want to ask too small. Like you you tell me to come to you with boldness, with temerity, believing that I'm going to receive what I ask for. Like, what are you inviting me to ask for today? I want to be someone who who puts demands on your character, on your nature. And I want to see the reflection of that in my life. Fill me with faith and confidence and hope. Like that, that's yeah. that's power. Like that's where you get into some powerful prayers. So when Jesus would steal away, like um, in Luke's gospel, it talks about how he stole away for a whole night before he appointed the 12 apostles. Do you think Jesus was praying the Lord's prayer again and again and again and again and again and again? And again? No, I guarantee you, I wasn't yeah. there. And we'll find out one day, but I guarantee you, Jesus was listening more than he was speaking. And that's another dimension of prayer that we often miss is prayer is less about what you say and more about how you are postured to hear. That's why the Apostle Paul can say things like pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 yeah. and Romans 12.12. 12. We're saying pray always. How in the world do we pray always if prayer is only like getting down on our knees yeah. and praying? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. What, what that actually is, is it's an invitation into a state of rest and awareness and connection with God so you don't engage in the frantic inaction of our world where you're busy and all over the place, but you're actually in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing in a moment and the people around you. 
and what God is doing in your own life. And you can connect the dots. You can see things. You can feel things. I mean, I'm, I'll give two examples from the last yeah. week. Yeah. I was flying home from San Diego on Thursday night. It was late at night. And I was sitting there. Um, I was about ready to take off for uh, from Houston to fly to Nashville. And I was praying. And one of my friends uh, came to mind. And I just sensed, like, I need to intercede for him. And I sent him a text message and God gave me a verse from Isaiah 46. I sent it to him. So then I'm flying. So I don't get his text back. And then I land and he's like, I literally prayed. I was on my knees praying when you sent this text, when it came in. And he's like, I got up, checked my phone and the text was there praying that God would send me a word and that God would be interceding through another person for me in this moment. Okay. So that was one moment. Another moment, I was driving back from the airport. I just dropped my wife off. This was a few days earlier and I'm driving and I, and I wanted to call someone. Holy spirit was like, you need to call this other person. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I wasn't planning. I was like, no, you need to call this other person. I didn't talk to this person in months. So I was like, okay. So I picked up the phone call a little bit of small talk at the beginning. Doesn't really share much by the end of the phone call in tears saying I was sitting on a bed in a hotel just staring at the ceiling, wondering what the heck is going on with my life. And so like, we, we just, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything like particularly holy yep. in, in, in the way that we would understand the word holy using technology. So yeah, like <laughs> I use technology. Okay. I did <laughs> both of them. Um, yep. And God moved powerfully in both of those moments and very specifically. And, and so again, it's about listening being sensitive to the spirit. Um, and it's amazing how God will connect those dots in our lives. And as God connects those dots, then you get hungry. Then you, then you're, then you become more aware and you're like, Oh gosh, okay. God, what are you doing in this situation? This is incredible. But as long as you're trying to do it to prove something to yourself or prove something to God or check some kind of box, something like that, you're kind of missing out on the whole idea of prayer. Yeah, no, this is so good. Addison. So good. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for taking the time. We have a tradition here where the previous yeah. guest leaves a question for the next guest without knowing who the next guest is. Okay. Ooh, okay. And so okay. the last guest asked this question to you without knowing that you are going to be the next guest. What is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Weirdest thing I've ever eaten. Probably, I think I ate a chicken brain one time in Indonesia. That was pretty weird. Yeah, that is yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah I actually chicken love chicken hearts. In Brazil, that's hearts. all okay. the kids eat yeah. uh, at the yeah. Brazilian steakhouses. So yeah, yeah chicken hearts uh, to me to me is delicious, but I don't consider it weird. Yeah. But when I say it out loud, people are like, oh my gosh, that's like chicken yeah. heart. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would eat a chicken heart. I mean, that's a muscle, right? Like yeah. That's just yeah. like any other. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll send you some. I'll, I'll send that. you some marinated yeah. in, a, in a freezer bag. <laughs> <laughs> there awesome. we go, man. There so now go. it's your opportunity uh, to ask a question to our next guest without knowing who that guest okay. will be. It could be a coach. It could be an author. It could be anything. Yeah. I'm going to ask, um, what's the last thing that you did that you were scared to do? Ooh, okay. That's a good question. That's a good question. All right. I'll make sure to ask that. How can we be praying for you? Oh man, uh, I'm still working out what it means to steward and share this message on prayer. I, I know that 
um, my, I want to give my life to helping people discover prayer as a way of life. And so I'm figuring, figuring out as God's leading me and guiding me the ways to say yes to that. Um, I've started something where I share a Sunday entry a few times a month. They go out on Sunday evenings and there's a group of about 10,000 people who've said, hey, I want to. I want to learn what it is to embrace prayer as a way of life. And so I'm sending this to them. And I know it's going to morph into in-person um, prayer intensives, experiences, uh, spiritual direction, all of that in person, but also a digital and communal component. Um, and I struggle with that because I don't want to cheapen what it is by sharing it digitally. But I also know that that's something that needs to be used and shared. So I'm working through that, praying through it. And uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. So I, I, would say, I would say that's a big thing. Yeah, let's do it, bro. Awesome. Let's pray real quick. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to connect with Addison and, and hear about his life story and his faith story and, and all that is happening in his life right now, Lord. Mm -hmm. I'd like to lift up Addison, his family, um, the kids, um, and, and guide Addison as he as he tries to clarify his message on prayer and, and try to figure out all the avenues that he could use effectively to share this message um, with as many people as possible without without sacrificing the, the actual message, Lord, without watering yeah. it down. Um, Lord, uh, I pray for Addison as he goes through the rest of the year. Um, and Lord, and uh, just help us have a great rest of the day. Hear me pray. Amen. Addison, thank you thank so you much Jean. for coming on. Bro, it was an honor. Thanks for having me on.